0: By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's Legal Terms and Conditions, found at moody's.com disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information.
1: Welcome to Moody's Talks, KYC Decoded. I'm your host, Alex Pillow, and this episode is presented by Moody's Analytics. A quick disclaimer. By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the policies, views or positions of Moody's Corporation and its affiliates. Human trafficking is a human tragedy. It's an outrage against any decent people, said the late columnist Mark Shields. For those who aren't aware, the day of release of this podcast, the 11th of January, is Human Trafficking Awareness Day. Why is such a day needed, you might ask? Well, despite the fact that trafficking and slavery is illegal globally, the practice persists with organized crime groups continuing to profit from moving and often enslaving men, women, boys and girls. Clearly, we need to do more and we need to do better. To talk us through the role anti-financial crime and risk professionals can play to uncover and help stop human trafficking, I'm joined by Chris Bagnall, Solutions Director at Quantexa, who co-authored the ACAM's Article of the Year titled Understanding Human Trafficking. I'm also joined by Kareem Rajwani, formerly a Head of AML and Head of Financial Crime at Major Financial Institutions, and now Head of Product at Sigma 360. And finally, by Christopher Kemp, Director of Enterprise Operations at the Anti-Human Trafficking Intelligence Initiative. So, Chris, Christopher, Kareem, great to have you with us. How are you all? Great, thank you. Doing excellent. Thanks, Alex. Pleased to hear it. Pleased to hear it. A very serious topic we're going to cover today. Um, So whilst it's always great to see you again, Chris, and to get to meet you, Kareem, Christopher, it's... I want to give it the gravity it deserves and christopher maybe given your work specifically in this uh topic could you maybe just tell us what we mean when we say human trafficking
2: i think it's uh, best to keep it simple as possible i always separated into three columns an act by means for purpose of obviously we're, our purpose is exploitation But the act could be recruitment, transport, transfer, receipt of of persons, and by means could be fraud, force, coercion. And of course, those things could be any number of uh, tactics or techniques, but that's simply put, act means purpose. That's how I, that's how, that's the lens I apply to intelligence collection. So
1: yeah, makes it nice and direct. And one thing I I sort of saw when I was reading up and getting ready for this conversation is that there are some differences to modern slavery and to people smuggling or human smuggling. And I don't know if it's worth maybe just calling those out. Do you still have a view on that or, or Kareem, Chris, if you want to add?
0: Yeah, I, I can talk to that. Just to, uh, on the back of uh, Chris's point, uh, you know, it wasn't until the year 2000 that the UN formally recognized human trafficking and the definitions in their plan of uh, protocol. Uh, I think you bring up a, a good point in terms of distinguishing trafficking versus smuggling. Um, you know, uh, smuggling is obviously bringing migrants across the border. Um, sometimes, uh, a lot of the times, this is uh, individuals who, who want a better life and, and migrate want to migrate to uh, another country illegally. However, there's a lot of overlap between the two. Right, uh, a lot of uh, individuals who are smuggled into uh, countries often end up in sex trafficking or, or labor trafficking, and we can sort of go into all the various types of human trafficking. Because when we say human trafficking, there isn't just one type.
1: Yeah, well, let's let's do that now. Do you maybe want to get into sort of the the main ones or the big brushstrokes we should think about, Karim?
0: Sure. Yeah. So the big ones obviously are uh, sex, s- sexual exploitation. Uh, by far the largest, certainly financially. uh, Forced labor, uh, number two, now, you know, this can vary depending on the the country and jurisdictions where one may be greater than the others. Um, There are other forms of forced marriages, begging, uh, uh, other criminal activity. Uh, What's not on here is uh, sort of the child sexual exploitation, the online sexual exploitation, and more recently, the sextortion. Uh, those statistics are, are not available, but certainly a, a rapidly growing problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah. a so number of lenses to think through. And Chris, what, how big is the problem, right? Like, I don't think we'll find anyone of reasonableness that would say, oh, well, like, let's not think about that. There's bigger priorities. Like, this is seriously, no one wants it to happen. But like, how big's the scale here?
3: yeah that's that that's a tough one, right? And I think you get that across the board in any sort of crime we look at, money laundering, especially to human trafficking. But there's really great resources, a lot of amazing research done by great organizations out there that gives us a view into that. So you know in some of the research we we looked at through the National Action Plan to combat human trafficking, you know they estimate that twenty five million people are trafficked and brought into forced labor. Right? It's a big number, but that's based mm-hmm. on a lot of research that they did. Um, there's some other things, too, looking at if you look at SARS in the U.S. Uh, between 2019 and 2022, uh, the last data I looked at, there was a 303% increase in SARS focused on all aspects of human trafficking, right? Labor, sexual exploitation and beyond. So massive increase in that. Um, a lot of that, in my view, has to do with just the education, right? Things like this, other things that we've been doing for the past several years to really educate people on this and bring awareness. So you're seeing a lot more increase. And, um, you know, some other look at $150 billion and, and and money put towards this and made off of human trafficking. So it's obviously a gigantic problem, right? Yeah. Um, it spans so many different things as Kareem said.
1: Yeah. I mean, that 25 million estimate, I appreciate it's an estimate because you never know the true, true scale, but that's a medium sized country, right? Like that's what half, half of England if where I'm sat or. You know, I'm not sure how many people live in California now, but like that seems like one of the largest states in the U.S. at least. Um, if you think about it like that, that many people, it's kind yeah. of, um, yeah, intense.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that's just uh, the ones we, we know of. Uh, uh, we don't know what we don't know. Uh, and I, as I said, the sexual exploitation of children and the sextortion is not included in, in those numbers. It's it's worth I think pointing out that this was a thirty two billion dollar industry in twenty eleven, and now it's in excess of a hundred and fifty billion dollar industry. You know that makes it in the top five uh, uh, or so of uh, you know criminal activities.
1: Yeah, yeah. So not only is it a big problem, it's a growing problem with, it sounds like, significant momentum. I don't know how many industries have, you know, 5X'd in the last 20 years. Some, I imagine, but not many. I mean, when we're talking about big numbers and big problems, I think what I like to do is sort of start at a macro level. So if we think at that macro level, like how could this be solved, you know, without getting into the specific casework or anything like that, like what needs to happen and uh, yeah, I mean, Christopher. Maybe if I come back to you, and then we can, can work around the the group. Sure.
2: I think the uh, the biggest aid or solution that we could bring to the table is a, a cultural redefinition of the value of life. I think mean, we've been segmented, divided, separated by a number of different f- uh, fast families over the over the course of the last seventy five, one hundred years that has depreciated the value of life we don't pay attention enough we're too caught up in our electronics or entertainment or hollywood our movies our technology so we don't uh, we don't look left and right enough really look left and right and look at the person next to us and say that's another human being and they have value and that's allowed you know us as a species to allow something of this type to exist and not only exist but grow okay
1: so there's that awareness in that cultural piece of everyone no matter what they're just as a a member of the species as you say uh christopher sort of needs to be able to recognize i suppose that's why we have this human trafficking awareness day to try and get some of that uh going in the general public consciousness what about the sort of government governmental and and private sector level uh Kareem. Any views from you? have had a number of different roles that maybe are adjacent to this, and I know you do some great work with ATI. Um, any other big bits that would macro level help change change this problem or challenge this problem?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a hundred and fifty billion dollar industry. As as I said, so these people are in it for the money, right? I think what what, what Chris says it is critical that there, there needs to be a, a cultural shift in this. Um, this is a sort of for money, uh, and it's organized crime. Uh, I think based on the UN report, uh, some 57% were through some sort of business, uh, by organized crime and another 18% through fear and violence against by organized crime. Um, and so if it's a financial problem, we need to devote resources to tackling that. You know, that's not just financial institutions. It's making sure law enforcement have the resources to tackle this, uh, the prosecutor's offices. And more importantly, uh, the the sentencing guidelines, in some countries, it's phenomenal. But in, in many countries, a lot of countries, you walk away with a two, three, five-year sentence. Um, And, you know on average, an individual can make, you know, $3 million a year. Well, you know, if you're going to serve two or three years, that, that's not a bad return on invest investment. If you look at the, the reporting rates, incredibly uh, poor, getting better, but incredibly poor. The uh, identification rates, the number of SARS compared to the size of the problems, insignificant. The number of prosecutions, Even less. Uh, And then to top it all up, uh, you know, the victim is re victimized in court. And then the individual frantic gets a a slap on on, on the hand after all of that. So I think that whole business model needs to change to say it cannot be in any way, shape, or form profitable uh, for the perpetrators.
1: Okay. So we've got the cultural and awareness piece as then the actual. Resource in both legally, judiciary, what's available in terms of templates and best practices for institutions, and then the actual as you say the the stick right the the punishment um, to try and deter we know that kind of no matter what the stick is people will commit crime, but you can try to influence what type perhaps by um, prioritizing which ones you're going to put people away for a long time on Chris, anything you you'd add?
3: they they absolutely killed both things chris and i have talked a lot about that piece of things um you know the personal aspect who we are as humans and and what do we need to do and i you know personally i've on that side of things at least within the financial crimes community for sure right i've talked about how much things have increased the the way we're paying attention to it so many people i've talked to have asked the question how do i do more how do i participate you know, and help fight this and and notify law enforcement. So I feel like I'm seeing a lot more of that happening than I did, going back 10 years ago in my career, right? Five years ago, um, which is really great to see again from the financial crimes community, right? It's, it's also, how do we get that out into the rest of society and right, make them aware of those things. And I do my part as best I can, right. With my friends, family, people I know to share, you know, things if, you know, kids are getting on games or, you know kids are out in the world like what do we pay attention to or even as adults like what do we pay attention to so really trying to educate outside of just our group which is going to pay attention to it um you know macro level two when i think about my career in banking and you, you think about the tools that we use within the financial sector right I, I can't speak too much to law enforcement i know chris can um but when i think about the macro part of that the tools we have to identify this stuff right how do we how do we within when we monitor banking Identify someone who's you know exploiting a child or smuggling you know someone over the border or trafficking you know sexual servitude things like that. It's really difficult. I'll say I don't even remember really ever being able to identify much of anything in my banking. It was hard. It was yeah, yeah. You know, you get an alert on something and you have to decide is it one of ten different types of things. And it was really hard in that short window of time. You have to look at something like is it human trafficking. And so a lot of times we would just file the SAR and hope someone would figure it out. So. Um, but I am seeing the technology get a lot better, right? I know Chris and I have talked a lot about that. Kareem, the work he's done, it's it's advancing, it's getting better. And on macro level, that's what we need to do. How do we bring like the, the data together? Which we'll talk about. This, yeah, we'll, organization produces.
1: Yeah, we'll definitely come on come on to that. Let me um, just ask you, because I know we spoke in preparation for this, Chris, around you know what is already happening at the at the macro level you talked about the UN, you talked about the US national priorities. Do you maybe just want to give a couple of lines on that? And then I, you know, like to maybe move on to the next next section of this conversation.
3: Yeah, I can I can speak to the priorities. I know our uh, crime has a view on the on the UN, but just going to that. So that was that was obviously great to see from our financial crimes community that the AML Act of twenty twenty pushed out um eight different priorities, which, you know, one of them was human smuggling and human trafficking and puts an onus on, you know, the financial sector to do more and prove that mm. they're doing more. And so I've seen a lot of great response to that from the community. Like I just mentioned earlier, seeing more banks asking how can I do more? And it's not just because I have a regulatory requirement, but it's because, okay, now I have almost that as a backdrop to help me go back to my board or my, you know, the people to make the decisions on budgetary reasons to give me the tools I need to succeed. So um, I think that was a huge benefit for the people I've talked to when that came out. And just again, it's showing our government is putting this up high and large on um, on their agenda as something to focus on. Enough cream on the UN side if anything, that.
0: Well, I mean, certainly, uh, you know, I've attended uh, a number of UN sessions. There is clearly a b- big focus uh, on it. Um, but I think it's going to be backed up by, by action. Uh, you know, and as I said, the number of SARS compared to the size of the problem, complete mismatch. Uh, so, you know, um, either the, the stats are not being collated, uh, the stats are wrong, or there isn't a sufficient, suspicious activity being reported. But it's, it's bigger than that, right? The uh, Chris and I have done a t- ton of work on the massage parlor. There are hundreds, if not thousands, tens of thousands of massage parlors in, in say, the U.S. We know that they're, they're, they're trafficking. You just need to go to sort of sites you know, 10 girls being advertised uh, for a particular uh, massage parlor. Licensing is, you know, weak to non-existent. Uh, that are, in Canada, there's something called rub parlors, which are legal as long as you have a license, but becomes an excuse for, for you know, sex trafficking. The hotel industry, right, the, the farming industry around uh, labor trafficking, so I think all the sectors, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, uh, private industry res- responds to regulation, legislation, and penalties. And if that's what it takes, that's what it takes.
1: Yeah. So we've got the UN prioritizing it. But as you said, Kareem, you need action. The US government has made it a national priority within the AML Act. You say, Chris, but what you're saying, cream, is that now needs to flow down. We need to see each industry take their own lens on this and create whether it's framework or action plans or licensing arrangements, there needs to be something that actually you can touch and do something with rather than just a a, a bullet point on a priority list.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you look at uh, child sexual exploitation, which is sort of very much connected to this problem, you know, for the past decade, we've been talking about uh, the, the social media companies taking responsibility uh, themselves and frankly, nothing's happened. Uh, the UK finally, uh, with their, their online safety bill, Australia, uh, just in the past week, um, so basically putting the onus on the social media companies to do something about it. And if they don't face the consequences, we are beginning to see class action lawsuits. Because if this is a financial uh, problem, then, and in many ways, it's going to be tackled with financial penalties, class action lawsuits, and regulation. The banking industry is is heavily regulated, uh, and unfortunately, we I think we we need more of that across other industries.
1: We'll come back around to that point around you know, what tools and technologies, data, do those in different industries need in a little bit. But Christopher, I wanted to. Pivot back to yourself, because you've worked on the government side and that intelligence gathering piece. What is the work of an intelligence analyst who's looking to spot human trafficking? What, what's that like? What, you know, where do you start? What What do you do? It depends on
2: the the nature of the scope. If you're looking at the global issue at large, from a macro mm. perspective, I you could start with missing persons. Yeah, there's a ton of data in the missing persons corridor, whether you're US-based at NamUs or you're looking at larger scale projects like the missing migrants project, or there's about half a dozen you know, private entities out there that collect data on missing persons. I've actually mapped quite a bit of that data in a geospatial environment. And you can see quite clearly there are trends where missing persons are continually occurring and year over year, over year, over year. We're talking seven to 10 years. The Mm -hmm. same places are having clusters of missing persons. If you're looking at a crime against persons, which human trafficking is, there's going to be people involved. If you're trying to hide or cover your activity, people are going to be dealt with in order to continue operating. They're going to die. They're going to go missing. So all over Africa, there's trends. All over Southeast Asia, there's trends. All over the Middle East, there are trends. Even in Europe, in the United Kingdom, there are trends for missing persons. In the U.S., there are trends for missing persons. I mean, there there are some states where you're looking at between five and six thousand
1: people in the span of three years. Okay. And when you once you've identified a trend, like if it goes down towards a specific case, or whether it's a you know a massage parlor that Kareem mentioned, or a salon, or or one of you know a farm, perhaps, like how do you start to unpick that as the analyst? Well, who's moving people? Again, it's going back to people.
2: Who is mm. who is capable of moving people in that region? Say, for example, you're looking in Mexico. The answer to that question is easy cartels. They own that whole entire country, top to bottom. So if anything happens in, in Mexico, it's, it's going to be one of those cartels behind it. And of course, the region of they, the regionally controlling entities. So if you're looking at California, it's going to be the Sinaloa cartel. If you're looking farther, east towards texas or new mexico or arizona that's going to be cngc that's moving people they're they're going to be the source of people moving or narcotics moving or arms trafficking happening so they're going to be the the head of that so once you identify the organization you identify keywords that link back to the organization you could do that through Mm -hmm. uh, keyword scraping from the surface web so you look for say you're looking for the Sinaloa Cartel. Well, the Sinaloa Cartel in in Spanish, which is where you're going to look for them in their native language, they communicate quite regularly in in social media. They have profiles and accounts all over Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. So if you identify what words they're using on those social media accounts, you can find them other other places on the clear web. For example, Telegram. The Sinaloa Cartel has got over a 1,000 telegram channels a thousand that they you're, they use for regular communications for different corridors of their business because they're not just trafficking human beings they're trafficking narcotics arms how they've been working with the terrorists uh, on uh, on some occasions so it, it's really understanding what is what is needed from an infrastructure standpoint to conduct an operation if you're trafficking human beings what do you need well you need place a place to place for them to live they need food and then you need to have a, uh, a connection to your target audience or your customer base so you have to advertise the services now whether that's externally through an escort site or internally through a closed network because i've seen it but i've seen it done both ways they have to have an advertising piece so those are the the hinge points you're looking to exploit as an intelligence mm-hmm. analyst to get information out of and then once you have the little pieces of information from different you know, sections of that or of the required infrastructure, you then start piecing it together. Well, this person is the center of gravity here for logistics and moving people. They have access to this company. They have access to this, you know, financial resource. They have access to this region where they can move people. For mm-hmm. example, mm-hmm. down in Texas, everyone in their ground knows about El Paso. El Paso is like massive corridor for movement for, for. for the movement of illegal goods. If you were to sit down in El Paso for three weeks, I promise you you'll see people crossing the border. You know, see people people on the other side who've been exploited because that's part of how the cartel operates. They don't just offer things free of charge. They bring people in and say, hey, we'll get you across the border, but it'll cost you $5,000. And if you're a third world resident of Guatemala, do you have $5,000? Hell no, you don't. And they know Mm. that. So they're overtly drawing these people in by the thousands and these cartels are making billions of dollars right now, moving people across the border. You have to understand the infrastructure required, the activities required, the centers of gravity. So people that are important in each of those corridors and what they're doing on a day-to-day, on the day-to-day basis, what's their pattern of life? Do they wake up, leave their house, go to work, drive their car to Walmart? What, how, how are they living their lives? And then figure out where in that pattern of life they could do what would, what would be necessary to continue or forward, continue a, a trafficking operation, and then leverage that information to exploit further to get more information or pivot, as we call it in the, uh, open source perspective.
1: Yeah, it makes it, it sounds very much like a process of elimination. Like if it takes these characteristics to be able to do this, then you can start to slice away a lot of people you're go- only going to be left with so many. With the capacity as you say in chris and kareem you've done this from the other side working in aml for for the banking industry or managing teams that have been doing this do you have to take a different approach because you maybe don't have the ability to start with some of the governmental resources and maybe it's just a transaction or it's just one piece of adverse media like does some of what christopher says sound very different to your version or I'm just curious
0: no oh, i think um The fundamentals are the same, right? One, what is the problem you're trying to solve for? Uh, You know, is it sex trafficking? Is it sex trafficking through massage parlors? Is it labor trafficking? So understanding, if you're going to solve human trafficking, at least for the banking industry, you know, you're going to be all over the place without actually defining specifically the problem. Um, Then once you've actually uh, uh, sort of focused in on that, how do they what is the infrastructure, as Chris mentioned, what is the infrastructure required to do this? Um, and then understanding the the financial patterns. So in in the case of massage parlors, um, you, you need a location, right? These aren't going to be high-end locations. You're going to need to advertise. We know that where they advertise. Uh, you, and for at least for, for sex trafficking, it's going to be women advertised and they're going to share the same phone number so there are characteristics that you begin to sort of look for Um, you know for for human trafficking uh one of the one of the um, uh, biggest indicators we found was visa transactions for for hotel bookings hotel room is booked on uh, a visa transaction but it's paid for by cash uh and and the transaction not completed So understanding the problem and then beginning to look for financial patterns to just sort of support that.
1: Those clues that would explain that behavior.
0: And I'd say, you know, in terms of topologies and and red red flags, there are thousands. There's just no shortage of them. In fact, there are so many. And you really need to sort of sit down and say which ones apply to you to solve the specific problem uh and some of that go can only be done through through trial and error but you've got to take that first step
1: yeah yeah it makes sense i mean chris you guys as a team pulled together a case study for an acam session recently when you when you pulled that together you know could you maybe just describe to me sort of what happened and how how did you start and what you know did you start with a phone number did you start with a transaction it's a. Uh, I obviously can't show it on a on an audio only recording, but um, yeah, I'd love to understand how you pulled that graph together.
3: Yeah, I think Chris and Christopher and I can hit on that, but if you don't mind, I just add one quick point. Yeah, please. Last conversation from a banking point of view, and I Cream hit it right on the end with regards to understanding your risk. That's an area throughout my career in doing risk assessments, right? Trying to understand what is the risk of my organization. Um, I'm generalizing here because it wasn't a true across the board, but for so many years, we did these high-end, high-level risk assessments to almost check a box um, to say we did it versus really getting down to the nitty-gritty of what is the risk of my institution based on my region. So if I'm a Texas-based bank, am I really diving into the human trafficking risk that I have in a very deep and meaningful way versus like, hey, I've checked the box and done a risk assessment? Um, that has been changing. Um, I'm starting to see a lot more typology-focused risk assessments, right, where someone's saying, okay, I am in this region, I'm in El Paso, or I'm down this area where there's human smuggling happening. I really need to spend three, four months understanding what that risk is and what are the things I need to do to detect it and get actionable information to law enforcement. Um, That's been changing the AML priorities, and that um, focus on human trafficking has also helped prioritize that. I've seen some really great risk assessments the past couple of years where institutions have done that. Um, That needs to continue happening more. Once we do that, that's where the things that Chris talked about, every time he talks about the work he does and these intelligence analysts do, I'm like, I wish I had three months to do what you just did, right. To help law enforcement. But a lot of times it's just an alert and I just file something and then law enforcement figures it out, unfortunately. But I think that last piece Kareem hit on is, is really important. Um, as for the case. So this was, I, I still get goosebumps and hair stand up when we put this together and, and, talking with Chris about a case that we selected for this. It was work that, and Chris will speak to this too, but um, it was work that they had done, right? They went through exactly what you just talked about where they were able to pull together all this disparate data based off of a correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, an email um, was almost like the catalyst of this within a corporate record document. You know, there was an article that came out for our massage parlor that was rated by the FBI that led to some really, really awesome work that he and his team had did And so in taking all of their data that they had collected over this long period of time, we're able to use the technology we have in Quantexa to really resolve that data, piece together the picture, and really show this network that jumped out in front of everybody based on ATII's data, corporate record data, watchlist data, negative news, where it was just all pulled together. And you saw this view that just blew my mind, right? Um, You can't throw the image up, but there's definitely a webinar out there where you can see the image (laughs) <laughs> um, and it's really on we'll the link notes, but, um Chris, do you want to I don't want to take your thunder because this was this was your case, you know, combined with the work that we do. But if you want to share a little bit more on that that case, it's it's a great one, sure. So what we started with really
2: honestly, was a, a desire to go through state level business um, directories. and that's the registration data. And businesses open, they have to get licensed, and they have to go through the Secretary of State for that particular state in the U.S. To, to operate as a business. What we did is we went through all of the massage parlors that were in the state of Indiana. And there's thousands. It's just Indiana alone. And we started searching these massage parlors by the registered name of the business. And that's when we made the discovery about the FBI's raid on one, one particular massage parlor. We found that to be quite odd because from a law enforcement perspective, the FBI is the creme de creme. Yeah, They're at the top. For a massage parlor to be considered a suspect of a federal crime, that's that's very odd. That's out of the norm. So my team said, hey, you know, this article was out there. We should look at this business a little bit more granular. So we pulled the articles of incorporations off the of State website for the state of Indiana and without an email address listed as a point of contact for the business. I'm like, huh, interesting. So we did some Crafty Google Dork searches with that email address, and we're able to discover two or three of the businesses that were linked to that same email address. We're like, hold on a second. One business with an email address that that makes sense, but three under different names and suspected ownership with the same email address. That's a little bit odd. So we kept running down that gauntlet until we found another email address and a couple phone numbers and an address and a lot of these features were all matching up they were identical and we we're like wow there's five six businesses now that are linked together by these various features and then we found through one of the the uh, registered owners of those one of those massage parlors that they had ownership of some uh, property down in texas and what that property was doing was it was being rotated in and out like they were selling it out about about every two to three months and then we found that the owner, the, the people that were purchasing the, the, the homes were part of the same network. So there was no money being changed there. They were literally laundering yeah. the proceeds of their legal activity through these real estate transactions. So at the end of the day, we had 28 massage parlors in eight states linked to two nation-state enemies of the United States, Iran, and China, operating in the United States. With a flow of money passing through about 2,200 banks.
1: It's pretty incredible. Just and all from looking for that initial surprising bit of data and then the next kind of data and the next kind of data. And that's what I wanted to actually ask you guys next is, you know, what data do you need to run a human human trafficking investigation? Because, you know, business registry documents, absolutely. Like there's way, ways and means of getting those, you know, adverse media. Obviously, you know, I've spent a lot of my career with with that tool and there are various providers for that. Um, obviously people have access to search engines and, and like, but is there a certain number of data sets you need before you should even start because otherwise you're just not going to find anything? I wonder what your guys' experience is.
0: I'd say make a start. You know, Project Protect didn't have the, uh, in Canada didn't have data sets. It was based on address media. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, is it uh, the most efficient, productive? No, but you've made a start. And and from uh, awareness, education, changing the organization's culture—that it's happening here, phenomenal. It, in terms of s- some of the key data sets, you know, as as Chris mentioned, corporate registry data. Really, really important. Uh, you know, shell uh, uh, companies are being set up by the thousands every single day. But that's really important. Like, you could try to get some of the other data, scraping data through sort of six ad websites. The ATII uh, data set does all of that uh, for you. Uh, You know, if you put that together with corporate registry data, immediately, uh, and then overlay financial transactions are that, and we don't have the time to talk about real life cases using ATII data, corporate registry data, Mm. and overlaying financial transactions. Uh, as mentioned in the the example, really, and I, I'm, I'm specifically talking sort of sex trafficking, right? Uh, so, you know, those are a couple of the key sort of data sets, adverse media data sets. That could be a trigger point to say, where do I focus my my uh, investigation, right? That could be a good sort of trigger point to start there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then the property that you mentioned as well, well it was key to the case you just described, Christopher, whether that comes from media or other other means, who owns what seems to be, you know, obviously a big unlock in that case, at least.
3: What a, I'll add to one of the things, and over many things that drew me into, mm-hmm. excuse me, wanting to work with ATII and, and getting to know in the past couple of years is, you know, asking that question on data, right? You know, looking out and do we have consistent sources of data? Can we get this human trafficking data? Yes, some of it is in corporate registry documents. A lot of it's on like the uh, one of the websites that Kareem mentioned earlier, right? Up in Canada. A lot of it's in the dark web. As a financial institution, we didn't have access to that. Even though it really helped us identify risk within our customer base or within our transactions, we just, we didn't. So, you know, there was never a consistent source of human trafficking data we could go grab. We couldn't go to a a screening or data provider, right? And just say, hey, do you have that whole data set that would help me find this stuff? No one had that. Um, it was fragmented. It was unorganized. It was siloed. Um, it really almost sat in the hands of law enforcement, right? They had it. Um, NGOs, maybe we had it. Now we know ATI has it, but how did we get access to that? And that's one of the things ATI push. And I really I love that they do that, right? Is they make it available to anybody who wants to use it. Yeah. Um, even if we're using it in a manual versus an automated fashion, like you can use it. That's what they're here for. So I think they've they've definitely taken the charge in like how do we make it consistent, right? How do we organize it for the institutions and law enforcement to be able to leverage this? Because it's not just a, a transaction, right? It's all that
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, what I'd say is uh, you know, at least from uh, an anti money laundering perspective, you know, our, our systems are designed to catch patents, but they're focused on, you know, generally focused on large amounts. Or, or uh, a man's moving frequently. What we're dealing with is a low value, low frequency crime, relatively speaking, for the banking industry. Right. The systems are never designed to identify them, and you can never design a system uh, on low frequency and low value on its own, because you would end up with with tens of thousands, millions of alerts. And as Chris mentioned. All you're doing is sitting there saying false positive, false positive, false positive, and this is why you need other data sets to supplement internal transactional data sets because mm-hmm. this is a you know low value. It's it's three hundred dollars at a pop. You know it's ninety dollars at a pop at a, a massage follow Really small amounts. Yeah. We
3: had to agree on that point. We had, uh, in a past life, we had a pretty large prepaid card payroll business. We saw a lot of sex trafficking through that. Like, and it was $10 on the card, $20 cash deposits of $40. So we had to do a lot of work just to hone in on that small dollar amount. But that's where we saw most of the stuff happen. If we had done that on the bank side, it didn't mean we didn't try. We didn't do it, but it would, it, it would explode. Right. We had a lot of manual processes to be able to identify those twenty, thirty, forty dollar transactions because it's, it's really hard. It's not the big dollars. Thank you, sir. So
1: I think we might have mentioned them earlier or a couple of them, but with all that data and yeah, that that classic analogy that we talk about in the anti-money laundering world of needle in a haystack, what tech do you need to do this, do this well, be able to do this? at a scale that can make a a real difference. Um, Is there anything that's new that people might not be aware of and don't have in their tech stacks that they need to go get, or is it just using what they already have in a different way? I'm not sure who that's to, to, to whoever wants to take it.
0: (laughs) Well, I'll I'll answer from a banking industry. I think your traditional transaction monitoring solutions are not it, uh, and it's not picking on on any vendor. Uh, I think it's got to be sort of an Analytics, advanced analytics, and entity resolution problem here, uh, which requires different uh, technology. You know, and as mentioned, if you take your internal data sets, uh, supplement them with external data sets, and treat this as a you know advanced analytics uh, project using entity resolution, being very focused about it, rather than generating alerts. Over time, will it migrate to sort of a a traditional transaction monitoring approach? Perhaps. I'm not convinced. Perhaps. Obviously, there are a whole bunch of regulatory hurdles, you know, around model validation and how are you building rules. But I think this is far too important to sort of let that stop you.
1: Good good perspective. And and Chris and Christopher, anything you'd add that people should really make sure they have before they, um, not before, but... That they should have to make sure they're doing the best they can at trying to stop this this huge problem
2: i'll just throw out there um large scale graphing technology because you you're talking about a needle in the haystack you need to know what's where that needle is in the haystack and the best way to find that needle is to put your stack of hay in a place where you can move it around and shift it and you know adulterate the data as needed and Yeah. I, I I will, I, I promote them all the time. There are partners here They're one of their, one of the representatives is here. Quantexa has an incredible incredible graphing element to their, to their tool. that Visualizes data. So you're not just looking at numbers on a chart or in a graph or sorry, in a, in a table, you're looking at entities and how they're connected and how, what points are they, are they connected at? You're able to identify those. And then once you have a pattern, of activity or behavior, you can look for that same pattern and other relationships existing in the background. I think that's really important when you're dealing with this particular criminal activity because you're not oftentimes going to be dealing with one person in one location. It's more oftentimes going to be dealing with multiple people, multiple locations, each with a different purpose. And that's what we've identified to be true when it comes to large scale human trafficking. As there's thirty people each of those 30 people have their own set of tasks and responsibilities like a, like a corporate entity would be structured out the CEO, the COO, the CIT. Yeah. You know, they all have their different roles. And that's the same way with human trafficking. Only this on, in this particular monochrome design, you have people hiding in plain sight. Yeah. So unless yeah. you have the ability to look at the data as a whole in one environment, manipulate that data and find the, the, uh, the important pieces, then you're you're going to be at a loss every single time.
1: Yeah, I've got an eye on I've got a, an eye on the uh, the time, gentlemen. I think um, one thing I wanted to ask. You know, we've covered the problem. We've covered the there is some political will in terms of prioritization, but there's there's more to go and more awareness to to go. And I hope this is a small, very small part of that. We've talked about the cases, the data, the tech you need. What's the low-hanging fruit, though? Like, what's something that, you know, could be achieved in 2024 um, if everyone sort of takes the right action? Um, Yeah, those that are listening to this that might be working at different institutions, whether they be corporations in supply chain uh, work or whether they're, you know, in banking or other financial services. Is there two or three things you'd like to call out?
0: Take the step, right? Uh, in, In Canada, we started with adverse media searches, looking at the individual that's been charged convicted uh looking at their transactions no cost quick very is zero topologies understanding topologies it's free that data is available free of charge trading is free of charge atii ACAMS, uh, uh, the training for for your staff for your investigators is is free data sets like the atii data set you know that uh, 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 compared to what an institution spends, uh, uh, you know, on an AML program, it's nothing. It's pocket change. These are simple data sets, right? Uh, and you could make a start in, in 20, within, within 30 days, within 60 days, you could be up and running, you know, integrating that, that data. So, you know, I think there's a lot of, uh, quick low hanging fruits at least from a financial services, uh, perspective.
3: I'd say that the top one that's easy for me is connect with NGOs. I think Kareem hit on this a little bit too, but reach out. There's plenty of them, right? There's obviously ATII is here today. There's Polaris. There's the Noble. I mean, the list can go on in the US globally as well. It's not a hard thing to do, right? If you have a care in this space and want to do more, start there. That's where I started. The very first reach out I ever had in my career was to Polaris years ago when we had those Mm. prepaid cards and I learned a lot from them, right? I learned education was there, what to look for, um, more about what was happening in prepaid and other areas that I didn't even know. So I think that's an easy one to do. It's not hard. Chris is willing to take your call. Aaron Culler, who's founder of ATI and others, are willing to take the call. So I think that needs to happen more. I think once we do that and more NGO, then you know, of course, they're they take sponsorships, they take you know people in banking that are willing to spend their time and train them even or mm-hmm. on the tech side. So I think that's an important one. Um, I think one more that really sticks out to me is um, you know, engaging with the technology provider in a meaningful way. You don't know, pressure them. There's a lot of, you know, entity companies out there that do care about this. But what ask them what they're doing. What are you doing to help me solve this problem more? That's an easy question to ask. Learn yeah. that. And if they're not willing to go above and beyond or it's not on a roadmap, then maybe that's not the right path for you. That's that's a longer term question, right? Yeah, away yeah. from that. You know, ask that question.
1: But to link it back to the priorities right particularly in the us if the government said here's the eight priorities you should be asking your every vendor those eight that question eight times essentially and uh christopher anything you'd like to add in terms of low hanging fruit and then i'll I'll, we'll just finish off with some recommended resources
2: yeah absolutely alex and uh, as a representative for an ngo my recommendations are simple and they're to the public be aware as a consumer you, there's ways out there to determine who you're doing business with because you never know who you're facilitating. That's very easy to do. Simple. Yeah. Five seconds before you purchase something from the store. Who, who owns this store? Where's this money going to? Are they behaving correctly? Are they behaving responsibly? Or on the larger scale, you shop online every day and we all have whatever various apps out there to buy stuff on. What, what are those companies doing? What are they about? Because you have to remember that Where our money goes, supporting something, whether it's a growing, developing economy or good things or bad things, it's supporting something, and that's a really simple, really simple, low-hanging fruit that everyone can do. I don't care where you're at, where you're, what industry you're in, you all can do that. And imagine if the world, the state tomorrow decided to make responsible decisions and put our money in the pockets and hands of good people. How many bad people would suffer, and how many operations would shut down because they? Except
1: they couldn't operate anymore. Yeah. As Kareem said, it's a profit-driven enterprise. Well, I so said we, you know, hopefully people that have listened to this feel a bit more aware, given it's the that's you know the day of awareness today. But um, I'm sure there are people who go, I want to know more, I want to see that visual that we referenced earlier, and I want to make sure they have somewhere to go. So I think without doubt, we've c- come to it many times, the ATII website data set. Chris will put your, you know, LinkedIn or or what email or whatever you want up um in the show notes so people can find that. And then Chris, I know you wrote the well co-wrote, co-authored the article of the year for ACAMS. So we can link that. But is there anything else you guys would like to point to? I think you mentioned there was a webinar. Um and I'm sure there m- there may well be other resources as well.
0: Yeah. Um there's the uh, you know, the the webinar, the ACAMS training is free uh Chris mentioned Polaris. The UN uh publishes uh, r- reports uh on uh this topic um the International Labor Trafficking Organization publishes uh reports on it um and there are topologies on this ATII has them if you just google uh, topologies on this there are there are so many topologies out there that you can make a start with
1: Great. Well, what we'll actually do is we'll grab the specific link to that part of the website, uh, Christopher, from you afterwards, and that way people, we're going to even save them a click, so they've got no excuse. Um, but yeah, I'll just thank all of you for your time you know, and the work you've already done on this and the work you continue to do. Hopefully everyone feels a little bit inspired to do their bit and, at the very least, take on some of the low-hanging fruit items we, we just talked about. Make a start. I think that's the key message from our guests today. Whether you have a lot of resources or none, take the step that you can and be part of the solution to human trafficking. Data and technology will clearly play a big role in combating this crime. However, as Christopher explained in the case study we touched on, the original trigger can just be a person being concerned enough to look at a simple email address and then follow in the investigative process. If we can get the right people, the right tools, then we can do more and do better than we are today. Thanks to Christopher, Chris and Kareem for coming on, to you for listening, and as always to producers Caroline Waters, Lexi Fox-Mills and Mark Rundle.
0: Thanks for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com podcasts.